Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 5 on the Genesis genealogies and their importance that there's something that we shouldn't read over. We'll also study science behind DNA and long life. And finally, we'll learn how Enoch walked with God and never died. Now, we have so much to be thankful for. Are you thankful for the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you thankful for thousands of years that the Jewish people preserved the scriptures for us today so that we could better understand who God is and have his written word to encourage us? Many of those faithful Jewish people in the Old Testament, as well as the Lord Jesus Christ himself, would want us to reach their lost relatives. They are God's chosen nation of people, but most of Israel today, the vast majority, is lost. And Tom Cantor and all of us here at Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries want to reach God's lost nation of brothers and sisters. Now, will you help us to do that? With a gift amount of $10 or more of support to reach lost Jewish people, we will send you Tom Cantor's life story and a wonderful track, and also, How Would You Learn the True Meaning of Christmas? That's also another track that you can give out at Christmas time or Hanukkah. Support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism by calling us now at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on friendship with God. Let's look to him as we get ready to anticipate just the wonderful things God's going to teach us. Father, thank you so much for being our teacher. Thank you so much for being our guide through this life. Lord, and that we have the privilege and the honor to call you Father, our Father. And so now we come to you, our Father, and ask you to teach us, your sons and daughters, in this room this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Genesis 4.25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. And for God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom God slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness, and by the way, that would be in the day that God created Adam, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Okay. Now, this is a wonderful passage here. And last week, as we studied in Genesis 4, we focused as we've had since we started to see this, this great truth emerge before our eyes, on two groups of people. A very, very small group, when we came to Genesis 4, the end of 4, of just two people, Adam and Eve, and a large, expanding, blossoming group, which we call the line of Cain. And the very small group of Adam and Eve was God's seed. And the blossoming line of Cain was the devil's seed. Now just picture in your mind those two people of the very, very small group of Adam and Eve. And, and there they are. And there next to them is this seed that's, that's growing and it's blossoming. And it's getting larger in numbers and more bold in their achievements and productions. And especially in their sin. And so they're being like overshadowed, this little group 
of Adam and Eve, totally overshadowed by this, little, by this group of the Lion of Cain. It's exactly a description of Isaiah 60, verse 2, where it says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. That's what you see in Genesis chapter 4. This was a time of darkness covering the earth, and gross darkness covering Adam and Eve. And at that time, if we were to compare Adam and Eve as the group, to Lines Cain, a very, very small group of Adam and Eve. There's a particular title, if you want to turn, but I'm sure you know this verse. In Isaiah 1.9, there's a title. It's not bad to turn to it. Isaiah 1.9, where it says, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Now, that's the title for Adam and Eve. They're a very small remnant. And today, in comparison to the vast majority of Jewish people, we have another very small remnant, like Adam and Eve. And who are they? Those are the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very small remnant. And compared to the majority of Jewish people who don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ, these are the very small remnant. So just on Friday, I was talking to my Russian Orthodox rabbi friend, Yaakov, and we like each other. And Yaakov says to me, Tom, you can't be right about Jesus, he says to me. And so I said, why? And he said, because none of our grandparents for five generations believed in Jesus. And so I said, well, you're 100% correct. And he is 100% correct. Compared to the vast majority of Jewish people, Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are a very small remnant. But Isaiah 1.9 tells us much more than just the fact that they're small in numbers because it goes on to say, that there's a decision process that God goes through. And it tells us in Isaiah 1-9 how God decides when he's going to bring down judgment. That's why you can look at that verse and you can say, this is God's judgment decision verse in Isaiah 1-9. It tells us that if there was no very small remnant, like the group of Adam and Eve, that God would just bring judgment on the earth and he would make the earth to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So what it's teaching us in Isaiah 1.9 is that when God looked on the earth and he saw that the line of Cain had just filled the earth with murder, that God had to make a decision. And he says, shall I say it repents me that I've made man, I'll destroy him from off the face of the earth? And how's he going to make his decision? It says to us that what he does is instead of looking at the expanding line of Cain and all their murder and so forth, he turns and he focuses on this very small remnant of Adam and Eve. And he says to himself the same thing that he said about Abraham. There's a great verse. We want to turn to it in Genesis 18, 17 through 19, because it's not very often in Scripture that we're let in on how God's thinking process is. It's wonderful when you read these verses like this and he begins to talk to himself or to other members of the Godhead, which is what he does here in Genesis 17 through 19. And it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Well, who's he talking to? He's not talking to Abraham. He's talking among the Godhead. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely 
become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Question. That's God's question. And then God answers the question with these great three words. For I know him. Those are the words that God uses. That's his answer. I know him. And what did he know about him? He will command his children and his household after him. And what's going to happen? And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham the thing which he promised, which he has spoken of him. So those three verses, you can see there God thinking. He says, now, let me think. Now, let me consider. Let's see. Should I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? That's what's on the table. And he says, no. He said, I know Abraham. Abraham's my friend. Abraham is my friend. And he says those great words, I know him. I know Abraham. Boy, would to God he say that about us, huh? Isn't that great? Well, it is to me anyway. So what did God know about Abraham? God knew that Abraham would take his role of being a father of his children very seriously. You know, Abraham was not the, was not the kind of father that says, you know, get away from me, you squirts. That was not Abraham. Abraham looked at those kids and he said, you know, as long as they're under my roof, I'm going to love them, I'm going to teach them, I'm going to command them. And that's what he did. And he was, Abraham started a generation, he started a tradition of a godly heritage, just like David did, just like King David did when he taught Solomon, in this verse we looked at before in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And it's so amazing because here you were led in on this really private, intimate time when David the father is speaking to Solomon his son, and he says to him, And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart. And with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of thought. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And so what happened? There's two things that David told Solomon to do. Know and serve. Know him. That's the goal of your life, Solomon. Know him. That's what Paul said, that I may know him. Know him. And what should you do when you know him? Serve him. Know him and serve him. He was saying to Solomon, Solomon, I don't care anything else you may learn in life. He says, just listen to me now, Solomon. I'm your father who's speaking, and I'm telling you two words. I'm passing off to you the best that I've learned. Know God. Serve God. And not just God, but the God of thy father. You saw it in my life, Solomon. You saw how God has meant so much to me in life. Solomon, you saw that when in the really tough times, even before you were born, when I was being chased about hillsides by Saul, you saw me write those psalms. You saw that. You know what happened with your mother and how I committed adultery and murder. And you know how God broke me down and I wrote Psalm 51 over it. And I give you that psalm now, my son Solomon, because I want you to know the God of your father. Because that's your God. That's my God. And then he says, and when you know him, don't just learn about him. Give yourself wholly to him and serve him. And as a result, David started a godly heritage. So Solomon, he strayed away from God. But he finally did return to God. And what he did is that he did the same thing that his father had done to him in Proverbs 4, 1 through 5, when he sat his children down. Solomon sat his children down. And he said, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsaking not my law, And then Solomon does something wonderful. He talks about his father to his children. And he says, I was my father's son, 
tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. And now the question is, so what did he do when he was the father's son? Did he just go up to him every time, just hug him and say, I love you, son? He says, you know, he says, what he did, he says, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. See, he loved him, he taught him. And so my neighbor, Greg Hammond from Hammond Construction, lives around the corner. He told me one thing, I'll never forget this one time, something very wonderful about his parents, who are our next door neighbors. And he just said to me one time, just looked at me and he says, Tom, I have great parents. Isn't that wonderful? That's what he said. I have great parents. God knew Abraham. He was going to be a great parent because he was going to be a strong leader in his home and he was going to teach his children and they wouldn't depart from God because he started this family tradition that went on for generations. God knew King David that he'd be a strong leader in his home, teach his children. And he started this family tradition that went on for generations. And so the decision before God is, shall I just destroy mankind right now? I mean, it's gone so very bad. Two, and this great big line of Cain over here being murderous. Why don't I just wipe them out? But God looked at Adam and Eve, and he said the same thing that he talked about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. He says, I know him. I know them. I know Adam and Eve. They will command their children. They will command their household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord. And that's how God decided to not bring down judgment on the earth at the end of Genesis 4 because of the line of Cain. And that's how God decided to not make the earth a Sodom and Gomorrah at that point in history. Adam and Eve was the very small remnant that held back judgment. So, January this year, Israel, country of Israel's Ministry of Public Diplomacy and Diaspora Affairs. They began to recruit homosexual and lesbian envoys to send into the world to promote Israel as a friendly place for homosexuals so that Tel Aviv could continue to be, as it is known today, the gay capital of the world. Now, homosexuality was the sin that brought down God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Israel is the country where Sodom and Gomorrah is located. So here's the question. If Israel's recruiting homosexual envoys and Tel Aviv is now considered the gay capital of the world, what keeps God from judging Israel like he judged Sodom and Gomorrah? That's the question. Answer, Isaiah 1.9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been like the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a very small remnant of Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's keeping the whole land of Israel from being destroyed. The Jewish believers, the very ones that most Jewish Israelis would just as soon left the country, are the very ones who are keeping the country from being destroyed. So if God looks at the very small remnant of his seed and he holds back judgment, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. You are what keeps back the rotting process. And it seems like God really doesn't want to judge people. He really doesn't want to send them to hell. And he says that in Ezekiel 18.32. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. That's what God has pleasure in in the repentance and life that comes after it. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. 
But Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher and CEO, author, scientist, and founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, wants to encourage you to witness to your lost Jewish friend. Tom Cantor is Jewish as well, and he wants lost Jewish people to be reached as well as our Jewish Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ wants his lost family members to be reached. Now, if you have a lost Jewish friend, Jewish doctor, Jewish business owner, or Jewish neighbor, Tom Cantor wants to not only send you a free gift with his life story on DVD and booklet to help reach your lost Jewish friend, but he can also uh, send that gift directly to them and personally pray for your lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. You can fill out our online free gift form for a lost Jewish person at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, a Bible teacher on Friendship with God. In Ezekiel 33, 11, he goes on to them, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, why will ye die? O house of Israel, turn ye from your evil ways. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. That's God's page. That's what God loves. It's not the destruction of sinners. It's not the destruction of the earth. It's the saving. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we saw the two seeds. God sees the devil's seeds. We saw last week, God's seed is beginning to blossom now with the birth of Seth. And that is first son, Enos, which means weak or frail or mortal. And then started the great practice on calling on the name of the Lord. And that's a picture of what will happen to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel, because we're not far from it. Dark clouds are gathering now over Israel. And as the storm breaks, Israel will begin to see themselves more and more as a frail, weak, and mortal people, especially as they begin to realize that their big friend, the United States, is a fair-weather friend. And God knows that no one, including the people of Israel, is going to call on his name unless they see themselves as enos, unless they see themselves as weak and mortal and frail. And this has always been a problem for the Jewish people as a whole. The pride, the winning of 20% of the Nobel Prizes by 0.2% of the world's population. And God knew and Moses knew that this was going to be a problem because God blesses the Jewish people and the Jewish people create credit and then they become proud. And so God, through Moses, taught the Jewish people to say a phrase. Look, he says, when you come before God, you've got to humble yourself. So Moses says, when you stand before God, just say this phrase. And the phrase is in Deuteronomy 26.5. And Moses taught the people, and he said this, And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. <laughs> anyway, a Syrian, a Syrian this close to perishing, to just being wiped out, that was my father. And he says, if you say that, you will put yourself in the position of Enosh. You will perceive yourself to be mortal, to be frail, to be weak. And then go on to say, and he went down into Egypt, 
and he sojourned there for a few with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. Why? By the hand of God. So God knows if Israel doesn't see themselves as in us, weak and frail, that they're going to be stuck in the rut of Revelation 3.17, the rut of knowest thou not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor and blind and naked. And God knows that once the pride is broken and they see themselves for how they are, that they'll get out of the rut and they'll get onto the road of Revelation 3.20 where they hear my voice, open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And today, Israel is starting to look down the barrel of Iran's nuclear program. Iran's nuclear weapons. And they're talking about a Samson strategy where we may get destroyed like Samson, but we'll kill more of them than they'll kill of us. And so what's happening here? He's beginning, the process is beginning to cleanse Israel from its pride by bringing all the nations against Jerusalem, as he said in Zechariah 14 too, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished or raped and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In this battle, Israel sees themselves as in us, and it's so great that two-thirds, twice as many as Hitler killed, two-thirds of the Jewish people are killed and die, as it says in Zechariah 13, and it shall come to pass, that in all Israel, saith the Lord, two parts shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And those that are left, those that are left, will see their houses desolate. They'll see this, it's stripped. And what's going to happen? They'll call on the name of the Lord to save them. Is what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 23, 37, when he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Then the Lord Jesus Christ is going to fight for them, as it says in Zechariah 14, 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And in Zechariah 13, 9, he says, And I will bring the third part through the fire. He shall purify the sons of Levi, it says. He'll bring them through the fire, and where we find them as silver as we find them, try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name. They'll call on the name of the Lord. And I will hear them. And I will say, it's my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. And then comes the time when the people of Israel get to know their God. He said, these are my people. He says, let's get to know him. And someone notices something strange in his hands. And in Zechariah 13, 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then they'll realize that their God, who just saved them from their enemies, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to see that and know that. And that's going to be the greatest, oh no, what have we done moment in history. And then it says in Zechariah 12.10, I will pour on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They'll want to pray. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one is bitterness for his firstborn. And the Jewish people would be swallowed up in grief at that time. And sorrow, but immediately, Zechariah 13, 1 says, in that day, in that very day, 
He says, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And they say, we pierced him. They shall look on him whom they have pierced. Tonight's Rosh Hashanah. In a week will come Yom Kippur. Many Jewish people will go to synagogue. And the cantor, a rabbi, will lead them in reciting five words. My great-great-grand, so forth. Eleven generations were rabbis and cantors in Lithuania. This is what they did every Yom Kippur. They would leave the congregation in saying five words. The first word, ashamnu. What does it mean? We are guilty. The second word, bagadnu. We have betrayed. The third word, gazalnu. We have stolen. The fourth word, dibarnu. We have lied. And the fifth word, dofi. We have slandered. Those five words have been said from generation to generation, year by year, on Yom Kippur. But those five words, when they are respoken in Zechariah 12.10, when they look on him whom they have pierced, they'll all of a sudden have a new meaning that they never had before because they'll say, Ashamnu, we are guilty of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Outstanding teaching here from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. And if you're enjoying Tom Cantor's teaching on Friendship with God, as you're driving, listening at home, or downloading on the go and listening to these messages, and you're growing in your knowledge of God and your walk with God, we want you to support Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries. Any amount, a one-time gift, would be a blessing. We'd like to also send you Tom Cantor's life story on how he came to know the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll have that in a written form. We'll send that to you as well as how a Jew came to know the true meaning of Christmas. Both of those will send to you for a donation of $10 or more by calling 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or go online for more information to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. Thanks for listening.